What do you think? You like the shirt? You don't even know what it means. What, what is that pray for the bear? Well, I'm going to tell you before the message is over. Right now, I just want to welcome you to CCV, whether you're on one of our campuses or online. We're so glad you're here, uh, cho- choosing to spend some time with us on this Memorial Day weekend. And especially if this is your first time, welcome. You chose a great time to join in because you're in on the ground level of a new series on a Bible book. We're going to go straight through it. The Bible book is First Peter. You, you want to guess who wrote it? Yeah, Peter wrote it. It's a little letter to these churches spread across what we call Turkey today. Now, you might fairly ask, why, why are we talking about a 2,000-year-old letter? Is that really relevant to where we are today? It is, and here's why. The churches that Peter founded in that region were going through opposition. Now, we don't have any evidence that they were being physically persecuted, but they were being ostracized. They were being canceled. They were being sued. And we are ready to see a rise of that kind of activity in America. And in fact, between 2014 and 2017, they have documented a rise in hostility against Christians of 76%. And it's only gotten worse in the last few years. In fact, during that period, there was an article in Time Magazine, not particularly friendly to Christians. The title of the article was, Regular Christians Are No Longer Welcome in American Culture. Maybe you've noticed. There's just a a, a more sense of indignity against Christians, hostility against Christians, lawsuits and cancel culture against Christians. And the writer of this article documented how that was taking place. For example, Christian colleges are having their accreditation threatened, not because their academics are low, but because their standards of biblical morality are high. And on non-Christian college campuses, universities across America, Christian groups are being silenced or even kicked off of campus, groups like InterVarsity. You you know why? Not because of rioting or rampage, but because they are talking about Jesus Christ. Many of you are homeschoolers. Homeschools have been attacked in the last few years as a Christian thing. Like teaching your kids moral values is somehow bad. The atheist Richard Dawkins has gone on record to say that if Christian parents teach their children biblical truths as true, that is tantamount to child abuse. Why? Because if you see biblical values as counter to our cultural values, you see them as wrong-headed and somehow morally flawed. We're getting this from, from all over. Even charitable organizations, like giving back to the community, the organizations that deal with adoption and foster care and Catholic hospitals, they're being attacked and sued because they refuse to capitulate to cultural values that they deem anti-biblical. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for what's coming to your house because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you ready for your employer to fire you because you refuse to do something that the scriptures condemn? 
Maybe you own your own business. I don't have to worry about that. Okay. Are you ready for your clients to sue you because you don't serve them in a way that violates your conscience? Are you ready to be canceled on social media if you stand up for biblical truth? Because all around us, there is a rise of aggression against Christians. And it seems to me that Christians are reacting poorly to the opposition. And Peter has a template for us, a roadmap for how we should react in these kind of situations. But I'm seeing us make two errors. If I could just criticize Christians for just a moment, one of the errors that we're making is when the world hates us, we hate right back. Jesus forbade that. He said we should pray for our enemies and love those who are persecuting us. That's Jesus' advice. Because when we love a world that hates us, that is our most powerful response to convince them of the claims and the truth of Jesus Christ. We dare not go on a rampage on social media against people we disagree with. That's not helpful. Returning a lawsuit for a lawsuit or hate for hate or violence for violence only gives a bad reputation for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. Here's a second mistake that I think the Christian people are making. And this is going to offend some of you. And I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. As I see Christians responding to opposition for protection of their own values, they start relying on political parties. Notice I said political parties, plural. I see it on the right, I see it on the left, I see it down the center. And we have Christians at CCV who would align with left, right, and middle. And listen, I value you. I value your political opinions and your diversity. But if you think for a minute that we're going to rely on the governmental agency or some political party to save us from opposition, you are out of your mind. There is no track record. There is no track record of any political party protecting their own, let alone protecting their enemies. But God's track record is stellar with watching over his people. How dare you put your trust in a political party or governmental organization rather than the Lord God Almighty? Now, to some of you, I, I recognize you may not be followers of Christ, and they may, this may be, sound like weird to you. I, I get that. And listen, there's no judgment of us towards you. We love you, we welcome you, we want you here. I just want to talk to you about the hope that Christians have and what a difference that that makes for us. So we're gonna walk through this 2,000 year old letter and listen to four character traits that Peter says, unless you have these four traits, you will not survive the suffering that is coming your way. The one trait is endurance. Add to that honor, integrity, and hope. That's where we're going through this series. How to develop those characteristics in your life, not just to survive suffering, but to actually thrive in the midst of it. You ready to dig in? If you have a Bible, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. He introduces himself and his church. He says, Peter, an apostle of Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. And I want to just make a couple of observations here. First, 
If you play dot to dot on a map with Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, you would basically color in the country of Turkey. That's where they were. And they were being oppressed by their non-Christian neighbors. And so Peter calls them elect exiles. We're, we're, We're chosen. What does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean to be elect? Simply this, that God pointed his finger at you and said, I want you on my team. Now you might think you're here by accident. Oh, you're not. Even if you're not yet a follower of Christ. Maybe you're just popping in online to check us out. What do those people say? We welcome you. But you're not here by accident. God has a plan. And if you look at this map Many of these places are mentioned in the book of Acts, specifically chapter 16, and the apostle Paul wanted to go into Cappadocia and Bithynia. He wasn't allowed. Like the Holy Spirit said, no, I don't know how he kept him from it, but Paul goes, I wanna go there, and the Holy Spirit said, nope, you're going there, and he went to Europe instead. Why? Because God didn't want Paul preaching in Bithynia, he wanted Peter preaching in Bithynia. I don't know why, it's just God's plan. And I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. But it's God's plan. Not just that you survive, but you thrive through the plan of God. Because God, in his foreknowledge, chose you. Are you ready for what's coming? Many of you are going, I just, I don't know. I don't don't know if I can stand up to what's going to come my way. Oh, you can. And here's why. And it has very little to do with you. It has little to do with your skills or your prowess or your wisdom or your grit. Verse two says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That is our hope. You wanna know the the book of 1 Peter in a nutshell? Here it is in a single sentence. God chose you. Jesus saves you. And the Holy Spirit empowers you. That is why we have hope. So so let's dig in. Verse three is one of the most majestic statements of all of scripture. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's an interesting phrase, living hope. It implies that there is a dead hope. And there is. I see people hoping all over in the world. In fact, psychologists have done quite a little bit of study on hope over the past two decades. Here's what they found. In medicine, patients that have hope recover faster. In athletics, players that have hope have higher stats. In education, students that have hope, they get better GPA. Hope is one of the great differentiators of our day. Right up along with with grit and skill, you got to have hope. The problem is, I hear a lot of people use hope as a verb, and it's flimsy. Hope as a verb is flimsy. You'll recognize this. I hope, I hope. What do you hope? I hope I get a girlfriend. You're probably not. I'm just saying. If you you have to hope for it, you're you're probably not. I hope she says yes. If you have to, don't, don't even ask. I hope I get that job. Yeah, it's not likely. I've got this invention. I hope it makes a million dollars. I'm not investing. Why? Because hope as a verb is flimsy. Because hope as a verb relies on you. But when you turn hope from a verb to a noun, instead of saying, I hope, you say, I have hope. Oh, that, it gets thick. It gets weighty. 
Hope as a noun has a foundation to it. So for example, I could say, I hope the Suns get to the second round. Do I have hope? I did before the last game. <laughs> and my hope was based upon their stats, on their record. But now you, you can lose hope. And when you lose hope, that's weighty too. As Christians, we don't hope, we have hope. And your hope can only go as high as the foundation goes deep. Did you notice where Peter bolted our hope? In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is bolted to the bedrock of Jesus' action for you. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. And because of that, we have incredible hope. Now, here's the first differ differentiator of our hope than the hope that the world has. Our hope springs from what's behind us, not from what's around us. We don't read the news to determine if we have hope. We read the ancient scriptures. We don't look at the skills that we have. We look at what Jesus has done for us. We don't look at what's facing us. We look at the Father above us who selected us and then Jesus who saved us and the Holy Spirit who empowers us. Our hope is bolted to the bedrock of Jesus Christ. And I think part of the reason that Peter was able to say this is because of one moment in his life that he made a definitive decision for Jesus. You go back years and years. He's a younger man following Jesus and Jesus feeds 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and children. There was a massive crowd. I would guess about 15,000. Imagine it. He feeds them all. The next day, they all come back. Well, no wonder they're going, Jesus fed us yesterday. We're coming back for seconds. And Jesus preached a sermon. And it was terrible. You go, what, Jesus preached a terrible sermon? Yes, we've actually got it recorded in John 6. You can read it yourself. Now, the words are awesome. The response was terrible. Because in the middle of the message, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now, he wasn't being literal, obviously. That would be cannibalism. What you recognize is he's talking about communion. We just took it on our campuses a few minutes ago. A little piece of bread, a little cup of juice, remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. But the crowds, they didn't stick around long enough to get the answer. They all left. So Jesus' sermon took a crowd of 15,000 and whittled it down to 12. Not 12,000, 12. His apostles. And he turns to them and says, you guys want to leave me too? And Peter, in a moment of brilliance, said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. This, this is deep for me. Because when my parents divorced, my mother and my brothers left the faith. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm the black sheep of my family. I, I get the aggression. I get the criticism. I get the judgment. Some of you may be persecuted from the world out there. It's my family. I feel the pressure. And if I were to be honest, I would tell you, there's some days where I've just thought that it would be easier just to give in, just to give up and be, become one of them. 
but where am I going to go? Who, who else talks like Jesus? Who else said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Who else died for my sins? Who else rose from the dead? Who else is right now at the right hand of the Father pleading my case for me? Who else is going to return in power? I've got nowhere else to go. This isn't a game for me. This, is, this isn't an option B for me. I have no option B. This is it for me. To the day I die and then to eternity, I am going to follow Jesus Christ with all I have because I have nothing else to put my hope in. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, that sounds, that sounds too good to be true. It's not. And it could be you if you would give your life to Jesus Christ. That's why he says in verse four and five, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus Christ is making a way for you. And because of that reality, here's the second difference of Christian faith from non-Christian faith, from living faith and dead faith. Here's the second difference. Our hope transforms opposition into opportunity. We, we don't just survive struggle. We thrive in opposition. Why? Because Jesus Christ made a way and modeled a way forward for us. Again, going back to the apostle Peter, he turned trials into triumph. Specifically, I'm thinking of Acts chapter 5. The Jewish high court of the day said, Peter, you can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Yeah, right, like that's gonna happen. It just beat me now, because you know it's gonna happen. So he kept preaching, and sure enough, they arrested him again, and they beat him. We're talking with a flogging. And he walks out bloody and bludgeoned. And normally, people would walk out with their tail between their legs going, oh, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. Peter's going, yes! I preached well enough that they noticed and had to stop me by beating me. If they think beating me is going to stop me. They're out of their mind. And he goes back to the church and they prayed and they had a worship service because God was on the move. And every time the church suffers, it grows. You can beat us down. We'll rise up higher. You can silence us. We'll just get louder. You can cancel us. We'll keep coming back because our Lord came back from the dead. We'll come back from any beating you throw at us. Isn't that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? We are the most resilient, gritty, audacious, bodacious, courageous, fearless, determined people on the face of the planet, because, not because we hope, but we have hope, handed to us, bolted to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. And that's why verse six says, in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Big deal. Because we are facing an eternity that is forever. I want to point something out in verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold 
which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, you likely know that gold is refined by fire. If you have 18 karat gold and you want 24 karat gold, you heat it up until it melts. And then all that is not pure gold is burned away. That gold's hard to burn. But Peter says, notice, gold which perishes. There will come a fire at the end of time that will burn up all the gold. You know what it won't burn up? Our hope. And that will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, who's the praise, glory, and honor for? Jesus? Well, yes. But don't miss this. It's also for you. You will receive praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed in the end of time. Why? Because your hope sustained you through suffering. And Jesus said it. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. His words, not mine. And if I read those literally, I come to understand that I will have a reward in heaven commensurate with my sacrifice on earth. Are you telling me that some people will have bigger rewards in heaven than others? Yes. You know, I'm telling you, I'm gonna, I want a crown. I want a big crown. I want my crown to be bigger than yours. I'll just be straight up, man. And I, I hope you want your crown to be bigger than mine. And I double dog dare you to try. It's a contest for me. You think, how pompous. He's gonna strut around and have with a big old crown on his head. Oh, no, 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 you, you misunderstand. The purpose of my crown is not for me to wear it. Revelation 4, verse 10. The 24 elders in heaven, they have crowns on their head. And when they come face to face to Jesus, they don't wear their crowns. They lay them down for the one who laid down his life for you. My whole life is for one moment in time when in eternity I receive a crown as a reward and I can lay that down at his feet and my prayer is that all heaven rises to their feet and says now that's a life worthy of a king. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's where our hope comes from. I want you to watch a video of a man who I am certain will receive a bigger crown than me. They've been chased from their homes. They've been attacked, arrested, and even killed because of their ethnicity and faith. The Chin people are a minority people in Myanmar. They are largely Christian because of the work of Western missionaries in the 19th and 20th centuries. Many of these missionaries knew the meaning of suffering for sure. Their endurance to suffer in the midst of persecution became examples of how the Chin people would live. Being a follower of Jesus sometimes comes with a price. 
My name's Bobby Cox, and I'm the president of GoTen. Almost every day, our team in Phoenix hear stories of persecution. Our ministry serves people that have spent time running from their persecutors. Meet Silas. Silas came to the U.S. in 2007 as a refugee. He left his home country of Myanmar and found religious freedom here. Silas was one of the first Chin people to arrive in Arizona. He dreamed of a good job, owning a home, becoming an American citizen, and worshiping freely. Silas has given his life to helping his people. He started multiple ethnic churches here in Phoenix, and in 2014, he joined our organization. He and I began dreaming about how his people back in Myanmar could actually be missionaries to the same people who persecuted them. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. After Silas became a U.S. citizen, we returned together to Myanmar to challenge his people to move into Buddhist villages to be missionaries. Together, we've trained more than 100 believers to pray, love, and share the gospel with their persecutors. On one occasion, I remember visiting a village made up of retired Myanmar army soldiers, some of which spent their life dishing out anguish on Silas's people. I remember sitting in a small home with the photos of former army generals on the wall, wondering if Silas felt fear, or sadness, or even anger. I saw a man truly transformed by the love of Christ share the hope of Jesus with the very men that ordered the slaying of thousands of Silas's people. Silas's courage and love spoke volumes to these soldiers. Forgiveness and love truly transforms the heart. Missionary can drum picorami umi poli in quot. Ansupolka gam hutsakal ganga, whom him now calling Korea Lenglawin and Tlantin Gante. To a twenty two channel Korea Nakamsons or see, Churongahin, Andranga, Bomboiding can do the Mikan Hutigas. Tatam Nato in Tampidin can do, Kamanina in Polkomin Le, Intoy Omdin can do Mito, Tatam Natonin, whom him now and Zotena Dinga, Tun, Andranga Hinin, Zumna and Nathena Dinga, Zisu Christin. Nelson Arami, Rundam Natu Tang Chali Dudona from Kim Anzo Tena Dinga, Zangfana Nun and Nathana Dinga to Zain Sampiut in Zangfak and Lodil Tampikan Loy. Go Ten is one of the missionaries we support here at CCV. It's an incredible organization, and I just want to thank you for those of you who give financially to our church. You're supporting that ministry among others of persecuted people. I envy Silas. My question is, who envies you? Nah, nobody envies me. Oh, yeah, they do. That's part of what Peter says. And this is the third differentiator of Christian hope that is a living hope versus a dead hope. Here it is. Our hope is the envy of the ages. What do I mean by that? Well, Peter says in verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, search intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. The prophets of old, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Malachi, they looked forward to your day, 
And they envy you now, watching from heaven what you will do with the baton they started. They didn't even see Jesus. They didn't even know Jesus. But they believed in him through faith and through the word of God given to them. They took this baton and they passed it forward to the people of Jesus' day. And they saw Jesus and they followed John the Baptist, the 12 apostles, and other disciples. And they took the baton, passed from the prophets, and they passed it forward to the early church fathers. Origen, Clement, Philo. And they looked at these fathers, and the fathers took the faith, and they passed it forward again to the monastics of the Middle Ages who protected the documents of the Bible and preached the gospel when few were listening. And they passed it forward again to the reformers during the Renaissance, to Martin Luther and Holdrich Zwingli and John Calvin. And they passed it forward to missionaries who spread the word to the continents of the world. And they spread the word and passed the baton to pastors and teachers who passed it to me, to Ashley, to our campus pastors, to our associate pastors. And we're passing it on to you. And we're asking, what are you going to do with this? In Hebrews chapter 11, there's this hall of fame of the faith where all the greats of the Bible are mentioned, Abraham and David and Noah. But at the end of the chapter, there's a statement that is powerful for us today. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Without you passing the baton, in the face of persecution, to the next generation, it will be for naught. God is calling you to spread his good news, to be faithful in the face of struggles and difficulties. So I've got to tell you about this shirt. Uh, a friend of mine gave it to me last week, and I love it. Because here's the story that goes with it. When he gave me this shirt, he said, if Mark Moore ever gets in a fight with a bear, <laughs> pray for the bear. Now, I don't know how true that is. I would like to think it's true. I would like for you to think it's true. Here's what I know is true. The church is in a fight with a bear. <laughs> pray for the bear. He's gonna lose. Because we are the people of God that God pointed to and says, I choose you. And then he gave us his son to die for our sins, to save us. And then he gave us this Holy Spirit to walk with us on the journey and empower us no matter what we face. There's one more verse I've got to read to you. I, if I just told you what it said, you wouldn't believe me, so I'm just going to read it. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, that's the prophets of old, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then this line is unbelievable. Listen, even angels long to look into these things. The angels of God right now are rubbernecking over the parapet of heaven, looking down at CCV and saying, what are you gonna do with the baton? Change is coming. Hold on to hope. 
don't you back down. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. Don't you turn away. Because we don't hope, we have hope bolted to the reality of Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you're invited to join us. Give your life to Christ and you can have an eternal hope that will never waver. It will make you gritty in the darkest of days. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to hope. Change is coming. Yesterday, a man stepped to me, he said, how can you smile when the world is crumbling down? I said, here's my secret, when I want to cry, I take a look around, and I see that I'm getting by, and I hold on, change is coming, hold on. Don't you worry about a thing, hold on You can make it, hold on Everything will be alright Some people like to worry, some people like to hide Some people like to run away from the pain they feel inside Well it's your business, do whatever you want to do Here's what you ought to do Hold on Change is coming Hold on Don't you worry about a thing Hold on You can make it Hold on Everything will be alright Hold on Change is coming our allegiance to you the one who chose us out of all the world we give you our fidelity our loyalty our allegiance because you gave us your son to die for our sins and you gave us your Holy Spirit to empower us on this way no matter what comes our way what suffering what persecution what criticism what canceling we stand here firm as a church believing in the promises of the prophets in the reality of Jesus Christ we swear allegiance to you. We pray that you guide us through our struggles so that we can represent you well by loving radically those who hate us the most. Help us to love them the best. In the worst of times, would we be at our best and not 
through our struggles, but to triumph in these struggles to bring you glory and fame and honor and praise. We pray in Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Who's ready to bull rush a bear? Come on.